Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture lesson this morning is a difficult text. I'm reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 21, beginning in verse 11. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another all will be thrown down. They ask him, Teacher, when will this be? And what will it be a sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you're not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues, and there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you and They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance for I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. A hard word indeed. When Mary and Joseph made the trip from Jerusalem to Jerusalem from their home in Nazareth, it was about 80 miles, roughly the distance between uh, here and Macon. But if you're walking and you got camels in a third trimester pregnancy, that's 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 pretty good haul. They got within five and a half miles of Jerusalem when they stopped in Bethlehem. You know that story. We'll be talking about it more in December. But when Jesus was born on that first Christmas day, the temple project was in its 19th year of construction. When Jesus was crucified more than 30 years later, the temple was still under construction. You've got to hope that the contractors were paid by the hour and not the project on that one. The, the, the temple proper was, was completed in just 18 months, which is why we've got so many stories of Jesus around the temple. The official house of worship was completed. It was not a hard hat area any longer. But the whole project, 
the outer courts, the decorations, continued throughout the, all of Jesus' lifetime into the ministry of Paul. It was finally completed about 63 A.D. I'm just trying to lay the groundwork for the scale of this project. Herod nearly doubled the size of the Temple Mount. No expense was spared. It was the crown jewel of all of Herod's opulence. And there's historical evidence that people in Rome knew about it. Now, by land, it's about 4,000 miles to Rome. And people in Rome knew about Herod's temple and its splendor. So in the middle of Jerusalem, raised up high, sits this magnificent splendor, the center of the city, the center of religious life, the architectural envy of the known world. And in our story for today, it's, it's about 50 years into the uh, temple project, but construction workers are still out around the edges. Jesus and the disciples are walking around, and the disciples are just gawking. I mean, the splendor of it all. They can't help but gawk everywhere they look. It's gorgeous. Their necks are craned. They're chatting with each other about how the temple is adorned, how beautiful it is with the stones and the gifts dedicated to God, and it's a good day to be a Jew in Jerusalem. I mean, overall, the Israelites in Palestine are in a really good stretch. It's, it's the Pax Romana, the long period of relative peace in the Mediterranean during Roman rule. The Roman king Herod has launched this spectacular temple project to glorify the God of the Israelites. All right, it might have been to glorify Herod more than the God of the Israelites, but that was what was in the brochure. The point is, it is a strong era. It's a good time to be a God follower in Jerusalem. And on this day, the disciples were gawking, delighting in all of the brawn and the beauty of it all. And Jesus says to them, as for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another. All of it will be thrown down. Come on. This magnificent building project that's been underway my entire lifetime, the most magnificent project built to the glory of God, not likely. You see, there's just no way to imagine that there could be any reality other than the backdrop of a thriving religious culture. We're winning. Well, don't draw the parallels too closely, but it's not unlike the American Christian landscape of the 1950s and 60s and 70s. Who would have imagined an American South without a thriving religious culture? In the 50s and 60s, there were huge building projects. Youth groups were meeting temporarily in trailers so the new education wing could be completed. And churches sponsored new churches. Every time their church got filled, they would sponsor another one. In the 1950s, the faithful of this congregation launched out and sponsored many other churches. 
including Wyuka Road Baptist Church, which is just two miles up Peachtree. It was so full in here, we helped sponsor a church just two miles away. And that sanctuary was built with 400 more seats than this one so that there would be plenty of space. People were coming from all over. There was no way to imagine a day when the splendor would fade. The disciples were walking in the outer courtyard of the temple. And they had only lived in an era of great religious success. And on the occasion of today's story, the disciples were flush with how well things were going, with all the beauty that surrounded them. And Jesus turns to them and says, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked Jesus, when? What will be the sign that all of this is about to take place? And this is where it turns hard. Catch this. Jesus has just told them that the temple's coming down, which is hard enough. But then Jesus follows with news that there will be false teachers, then war, insurrection, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines, plagues, dreadful omens, signs from heaven. Oh, but don't be scared of any of that, he says. Yeah, right. Right now, they're, bla- they're basking in the splendor of the temple. Jesus says, all of this is going to be thrown down, but don't fear. Earthquakes, famines, wars, all that, still no need to be afraid. And if that's not enough... I mean, if you've already landed this much bad news, couldn't more news of woe wait for another occasion? But no, Jesus goes ahead with another list. Horrible things that are going to happen, not just across the culture like the first list, but a specific list of horrible things that are going to happen just for the Christ followers. Jesus apparently never attended any church growth seminars. For for a guy who is leading a movement that needs followers, this is what he says will happen if you are a follower. Before the plagues and stuff, here's what's going to happen to you because you are my follower. But before all of this occurs, they will arrest you, persecute you, they will hand you over to synagogues and prisons, You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. You will be betrayed even by parents, by brothers, by relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. Well, where do I sign up? You will be betrayed by your parents, hated by everybody. What in the world could make the Christian life worth all of that? But remember, the followers of Jesus, the disciples, have only to this point seen the good parts of being a Jesus follower. They've seen the healings. They've heard the life-giving teaching. They were along for the miracles and the crowds, the big catch of fish, Simon's mother being healed. 
a multitude fed one day by what was in a boy's lunch pail. A widow's son brought back to life. Now they're in the courtyard of the splendor of the temple. The birds are chirping. Life is good. Jesus is saying these words to, to the disciples in a time of temple splendor, peace in the regions, healings by the master. They are winners. They can't imagine a day of famine, hatred, when the magnificent temple is gone. In A.D. 70, the temple fell. Six or eight years after this 80-year temple project was complete, after the last brick was laid, the last carving, the last polished stone, the Roman army, led by future emperor Titus, conquered the city destroyed the temple. Titus began the siege on April 14th. It was all over on April 30th. It took 80 years to build and two weeks to tear down. In the 1950s and 60s, we could not have imagined that last year somewhere between 6,000 and 10,000 churches would close their doors. According to social scholar Tom Rayner, between 100 and 200 churches now close each week in America. Who would have believed that this morning, this very hour, the Rock Springs Presbyterian Church is in their final hour of worship? You know the church I'm talking about, pretty little uh, stone church across from Fat Matt's Rib Shack on Peachtree at, at uh, what is it, Montgomery Ferry? A 149-year ministry at that corner, and in this hour they are celebrating their final worship. Jesus predicted that some seasons of the Christian witness would not be filled with crowds and gleaming temples and great catches of fish. Some seasons of the Christian story would include famines and plagues, betrayal and hatred. But what's more important to us is his instruction and promise to us in this season. Jesus told the disciples that hardship would actually give an opportunity to testify. Don't prep your answers, he said. Make up your minds not to prepare your defense in advance. I will give you words and wisdom. Just, just continue to testify. Tell the story about God's truth and goodness and light in your life because you follow the Christ. Don't worry about a script or Questions you can't answer. Just testify. Tell people about your faith. Tell people why it makes such a sure and enduring difference in your life. Some people won't get it, I know. There's some guys at work who will make fun of you, I know. There's some kids at school who are going to look at you funny, I know. Jesus said some of your family members may not get it. In some cases, you may even be hated. 
but testify still. The hardship itself is an opportunity for the faith. I mean, in the same way that a handwritten letter stands out in a world of text message and Twitter, the life of kindness, gentleness, self-control stands out in a life where the Christian faith has a minority position. Hardship, Jesus says, is actually an occasion for the witness because the otherness, the selflessness, the generosity, the kindness of the Christian disciple shines bright in a mean and selfish culture. But more, Jesus says, By your endurance, you will gain your souls. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm pretty sure I want some of it, but I'm not real sure what it means. Enduring the hard season comes with a promise that we will gain our souls. There was a crowd gathered when Jesus fed 5,000. And there was a crowd gathered when the miracle worker came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. But on Friday, it was a small gaggle of folk who walked up a hill to Golgotha. When following Jesus goes into the hard seasons, the crowds go away. But you have been called to endure. The disciples had been around for the winning seasons of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus foretold a time of wars and famine, persecution and ridicule. And who will stand with the church when the famine comes? Jesus said, by your endurance, you will gain your souls. When the temple was destroyed in two weeks, God had already located a new movement of God's Spirit in the temple of Jesus. The temple that Jesus said would be torn down again, but only for three days this time, not 80 years. Because the worst days in God's economy are never the last days. What looked bleak was God's occasion for a new and more hopeful day. When Jesus was taken down off of the cross in Calvary, the Christ followers on that day had to have believed it was the worst day in the history of the world. They could not imagine at the time that God would transform death into life everlasting. But we know that what looked like the worst days were not the last days. And in an American landscape where churches are closing and Christianity appears to be on the decline, we are reminded that God has a great history of work on the heels of famine and opposition. When God is involved, the worst days are never the last days. God is still making dead things come alive. God will do it again. The question is not about God's faithfulness. It's about our witness and endurance. Will we keep telling the story of God's unchanging love? Will we endure the famine until a bright day reemerges? Will you pray and wait and work and believe that God is doing a new thing 
By your endurance, you will gain your soul. Let's stand and sing and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.